You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Laura, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. Today I'm interviewing Brett Garabedian for a series on taking time before grad school. Hey Brett, can you introduce yourself? Hi Megan, thank you for having me on your show. My name is Brett Garabedian and I am approaching the end of my first year in graduate school at Scripps Research in La Jolla, California, formerly the Scripps Research Institute. When did you start your career in science and what was the general timeline? Like what stage of life were you in? That's a funny question, um, and my knee-jerk response is I was in the no-stage stage of life. So I had completed high school just barely. I was dabbling in intermediate rock guitar, yoga, and Portuguese at my local community college, and <laughs> long story short, uh, I didn't have much going on, and, and my my parents convinced me to get into the family business, so they sent me to to a trade school, they said, you got to go learn and you're going to learn well. So the family business is or was and still in some capacity is we were direct shopping network, your home for quality and value direct from the source. And we would buy wholesale loose gemstones and jewelry and sell them retail on live television. And, uh, you know, like any other home shopping network. So I went to school to learn about diamonds and colored stones specifically in in Carlsbad here where I live now today this was probably 10 years ago now I went into a to a 6 month course the graduate gemologist course and learned about diamonds and colored stones and became a certified graduate gemologist or GG so I have my GG <laughs> Yeah, so that's a six-month course. It's two months in diamonds, nine to five, Monday through Friday, and four months in colored stones. And there's like a super rigorous exam at the end of both of these segments. And so where I'm going with this, actually, it, it, it lines up perfectly with the question, what stage were you at? I got out of school. I got a job where people would pay me large sums of money to know, you know, to, to access the information in my head. Hey, Brett, what do you think about this? What is this? How much does it cost? And based on what I learned that six months, I was able to tell them X, Y, Z about whatever they brought in. And so that really catalyzed the desire to, well, let's learn more. Not that, mm -hmm. you know, I thought I was going to make a lot more money because in grad school as a scientist, you don't. I assure you a jeweler makes more money. <laughs> But yeah, it was, I've learned something valuable and there's a lot more to learn. So let's quit wasting time. You mentioned that you were, you were studying rock band. <laughs> Did you think that you were going to be a rock star? Can you tell me a little bit about that? <clears throat> yeah, so, so let's just tell it how it is. I was in a band at the time. I've been in bands ever since I was, I don't know, 16, 17 in high school. And, and yeah, you know, I didn't understand that I was going to college to to take courses that would line me up for a four-year degree like math or bio biology or chemistry co courses. Instead, I opened the catalog. I said, I play guitar. I like playing guitar. I'm going to take intermediate rock guitar, you know, and, and sure, it lined up with my immediate interest in my band, etc. And to give you an example of the kind of student I was, they would assign us a piece of homework, quick little tablature. I would just lose that within five minutes of being assigned it and show up two days later 
and we'd go around in a circle. Okay, Megan, you play your guitar part. Go to the next person, go to the next person. And by the time it got all the way around to me, I had just learned it from watching others play it. So I got an A. Um, that's not the way to do any kind of schooling for the record. That's brilliant. Um, so how did you get from gemology and rock band to actually taking the courses to get into a four-year undergrad degree? This, this is a, an interesting question, and there's a direct link, okay? So I was, I was learning Portuguese and yoga and guitar, dropped out of college, official college dropout, okay? Bam, stamped on the forehead. Went to this trade school, realized I want to learn everything. Went back to that same college, and now with my newfound love of rocks and shiny things, I enrolled in a geology course, and I, I run into an old buddy from high school. Hey, what are you taking? You know, he's taking classes that <laughs> will advance you in your career in any capacity, and um, not that those other classes won't, but, but in regards to a science, you know, STEM career. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so he was taking math. I said, okay, I'll take a math class with you. He was, he even convinced me to take a biology class. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to do this, <laughs> but let's do it. And, you know, I didn't do too hot in those classes, but, but that's just how it went. I was kind of crawling through community college, trying, you know, really putting in an effort, which was new for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I saw opportunity and I, I began to realize the value of an education. Like, how do you go from, I'm not doing so hot in school to like, I'm interested in science. Was there a mentor or some kind of life-changing event or a realization that made you decide to make Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So at every stage in my, my career as a student, which one could make the argument that you're a student for life, you're always learning, but <laughs> whatever, we're not going to go into semantics. I have that argument with a buddy named Tristan Duran once. <laughs> and so at every stage in my, in my education at the community college, at the bachelor level, master level, and now at PhD, I've had this one person, usually women actually, and um, gratifyingly, for example, in, in the community college, one of the many I attended uh, at, at Santiago Canyon College in Orange, California, Professor Nala El Said, she's the, I think the director of the organic or the chemistry department will say, she really, you know, pulled back the curtain on, on organic chemistry and, and, and taught me the real magic of, of OCHEM. And I fell in love with the subject right then and there for the rest of my life because of Dr. Nala. Yeah, so it doesn't stop at Dr. Nala. Uh, you know, I, I began to really work my butt off once she kind of kicked, helped kick me into gear. I, I started tutoring organic chemistry. I met other men, uh, sorry, other, other teachers in different subjects. Uh, and, and eventually I, I was doing well in classes. I was really motivated, asking questions outside of the scope of the, of the curriculum, things a good student does. And that, that was new to me. And I applied to the UC system and I, I got into UC Berkeley, which I think was the only school that accepted me. I don't know if we want to get into that, but, but at Berkeley, I had another mentor and her name was Isabel LeBlanc. Mm-hmm. And she was my Nala El Said into the world of, of biology and, and biochemistry. So 
what um what was about these people that influenced you like what what was it about the way that they explained things or the way that they approached science that made it exciting to you that's a really great question because i i have an immediate answer for it and it's that they were so especially isabel okay isabel leblanc and i think in the ncb department at, at uc berkeley Talk about unconventional students. You know, these were these were sort of unconventional teachers, and they and I really clicked. And and she helped me realize that the the quickest path from A to B is not always a straight line, and that some people have these funky roller coaster stories, including Portuguese and guitar and yoga, all the way through to gemstones and chemistry. My relationship with these with these teachers and their attention to my needs as a student and, and, you know, and, and, and other students' needs. You know, they cater very well to the entire classroom, and I think that's what makes them so good at their jobs. They're really unorthodox. They're not robotic. They're not scripted. They're very immediate. They're very deliberate, and I love that about them. Awesome. Okay, so without being too technical, can you tell me about what you do in research and what excites you about your work? Yes, I can, and I will. So, at Scripps, uh, I'm in this gentleman's lab named Jim Paulson, and we study the sugar coating on our cell surface, where all, all of our cells have this, like a thin candy shell, I once heard it called by, by my science superhero, Carolyn Bertozzi. And so, the sugar coating on our cell surface encodes a huge amount of information about what's going on inside of the cell. And we're just now learning that these sugars play fundamental roles in immunology and infectious disease and, and especially cancer biology or HIV biology. And we're finding out now COVID biology. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I should say SARS-CoV-2 biology that causes the disease COVID. And so we use chemistry, I use chemistry in my lab to manipulate these sugars and, and ask questions about what they do and if and, and how are they important and to what extent. Mm -hmm. So what excites you about that work? Like what's the most, if you, yeah, had, to, so, if you had to pin it down, like what is the Easy answer, easy answer, okay? Yeah. The central dogma of biology from DNA to RNA to protein is crammed down everybody's throat from the second they're hit in the face with the biology book, okay? And I argue that glycans, so they're collectively called these sugars, glycans are going to completely flip the central dogma inside out and on its head. And as a chemical biologist, somebody who uses chemistry to study biology and uses biology to advance chemistry, I think that this subject of glycobiology is really at the frontier of discovery in, in, in both fields, mm -hmm. from both performing challenging chemistries to understanding novel biology and disease biology and how to provide cures and therapies. It really is the next big thing. Your, um, your what was it? The, the TV channel where you sell things? What's, that's called? What's it called again? Yeah, Direct Shopping Network. The yeah, the Your home for quality and network. value direct from the source. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really showing. <laughs> yeah, no. And okay, so let me take this opportunity then to mm -hmm. 
I agree. I agree that uh, my time outside of school has certainly helped me navigate school. And in situations like this where I'm asked to explain what it is that I do and why I like it, most certainly there are elements of my non-school life that help interpersonal communication and, and salesmanship. What's your elevator pitch? Why should this person hire you and not them, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure you pay attention to your non-school life, all you serious students out there. Don't be too serious. So after you graduated from Berkeley, can you tell me about how you actually got into doing a PhD? Um, did you go right yeah. directly to Scripps? Was there anything in between? Oh, there was so much in between. So from Berkeley, I, I graduated and I wanted to go to grad school you know, and, and I think I knew enough about what it took. By then, I had been in a couple of labs uh, as an undergraduate in some summer research fellowships and things of that sort. And I knew I liked it. Okay, the lifestyle was for me. I really enjoyed the independence, you know, getting in, getting out, doing my thing, stay till midnight if you want, or don't go in that day, whatever you want. Okay, I, I really like that, that flavor of, of work. And so I got out of Berkeley but I, I don't know if it was like, um, I don't know if it was something about being self-conscious about my skills or I didn't feel I was ready or what it was, but I, I applied to a Department of Energy National Lab in Berkeley called the Joint Bioenergy Institute where I met you. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I spent probably a year and a half, closer to two years there working as a research associate, an RA, and it got to a point where I said, that's it. I'm fed up. I need to get back into those books. And, you know, not that you can't read on your free time and stuff like that, but I, I became hungry for school again. I wanted to get back into academia. And so to make a long story even longer, I applied to lots of graduate schools, okay? And I got denied from all of them. And so here I am thinking, well, I thought I was ready to go to grad school. And, and at the time, there were a lot of international researchers around and I was like meeting new people and making friends. And there was one person in particular, her name is Gosha, my, my now current still partner in life and in crime. She and I had been dating for some time and, and I knew she was moving back to Europe to start her PhD. She gave me the elevator pitch. Why don't you come check it out? See what it's like. I, you know, kind of brushed that off. Yeah, right. Go to Europe for school. Are you out of your mind? And, you know, I, I told her at the very least, I'll go on a little Euro trip with you, see, see what the weather's like. Do I like the food, the climate, the culture? And I went with her and, and I shot out some sort of haphazard emails to a couple of programs, uh, master's programs. And all of them responded and said, we would love for you to come in and, and say hello. We'd love to give you a tour of the lab. We'd love to meet you. And I looked at Gosha and I said, oh my goodness, this might actually happen. And so I ended up doing a master's in chemistry at the University of Basel in Switzerland. And they are in a really unique position situated between two pharma giants, uh, Hoffman La Roche and Novartis on the left and the right. And Basel is smack dab in the middle of these two institutes. And as such, they have a really strong chemistry program and they train their students very rigorously to go into this industry of med chem. And so I, I felt I received a lot of really good training there in chemistry. And, and from there, I continued to apply to these programs in the States because I knew that glycobiology was the next frontier. And I knew 
the group I wanted to work with. So I, I applied and I applied and I applied and eventually I got in somewhere and that's how I ended up at Scripps. Did you know that glycobiology was the thing that you wanted to do the first time you applied and did you apply to the same programs the first time as you did the second time? The answer to both of those questions is yes. So okay. I had always worked on everything except for glycobiology. I was I was doing, let's say, organometallic catalysis. I was doing some synthetic chemistry projects with Total New Energies and the Department of Energy to, to develop renewable fuels. I was doing all of these other things that are not glycobiology. Meantime, okay, meantime, I'm reading all of the literature and I'm following everybody on Twitter and I'm I'm staying informed and, and hopeful that one day I'll be part of that field. Just to comment, I think it's awesome that you weren't deterred from the first round of rejections, that you kind of persevered and Well, look, you know, that's, so that is the end point, okay? That's, that's the, the end result is success, we'll say in this case. But don't get me wrong, there are certainly times on that reaction coordinate along along this career pathway where you can get really down like man i have this big plan and i was going to go here and do this and it was going to be awesome but that didn't happen Mm -hmm. and so this brings up a really important point that in science in your career and in life if you haven't figured it out by now and i say it like i've discovered something you know grand and that i can't be surprised anymore but Look, things don't always go according to plan. So I've learned to develop plan B, C, and D, as many plans as you think you'll need to continue living your life comfortably. How is your life different now in grad school <laughs> than it was earlier in your uh, scholastic career, even at the community college level? I have mentioned before that graduate school is really a lifestyle. And the community college route that I took and that I suggest everybody takes. By the way, let me take this moment to really praise the community college system and exclaim that really it's, it's an incubator for ideas and for life choices and career path choices. It's really a place to sit and think and figure out what you want to do without paying 10 G's a semester to think about these uncertainties, okay? So anyway, during my time at community college and, and, and before then and shortly thereafter that, I was still living, you know, a life that I had known for a while, playing in my band, hanging out uh, with, with a bunch of old friends, and, and maybe we'd go to the bar if I was of age at the time, or we would, uh, I don't know, go do lots of things with all of the free time that I had. And I think now in graduate school, not that you know, I I haven't had a beer since I joined graduate school or I haven't picked <laughs> up my guitar since grad school. No, that's that's not the case. But uh, I will say that graduate school is certainly a commitment and you you ought to know what you're getting yourself into in terms of your time commitment. And it's it's not a bad thing at all. You know, it's 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 a challenge that if you're willing to step up to the challenge, if you like the challenge, then that's for you. It's for you. The, the independence and the intellectual curiosity is there, then, then go for it. So I'd say there's less free time, but there's, given that difference in free time, there's a lot more time to invest in your scientific inquiries. What do you want to know about how nature works? So you spend your time there instead. Can you tell me about a time when being an older graduate student was a disadvantage? Do you say that? Because I don't have any hair on my head. 
You ask all of your interviewees this question. You asked me to use the word older. <laughs> it's a joke. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm messing with you in every way that I can. Um, I know. I know. Look, okay. I'm. I'm. I'm <laughs> look, I'm. Uh, I'm a first year. I'm approaching the end of my first year, and I'm as old as most people finishing their PhDs, and in some cases older. How old is this guy? That's what people are thinking on the other end. So, um, and 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 I'm as old as, as postdocs in the lab, or older than postdocs in the lab. Aha, uh -huh, yeah. So disadvantages. Well, that one's sort of obvious to anybody on a grad school salary. Okay, so there are certain things you want to do in life, certain you know independence that you would like to achieve in your 30s, for example, that. Um, you know, aren't readily accessible on a graduate student salary, a minimum wage stipend. And I would argue one of the bottlenecks to, to entry into the field for a lot of people, why, you know, well, I'd, I'd go there if I made as much money as, you know, the, the, the cleaning staff or as much money as, as anybody else in any other job. I could be throwing hamburgers out a window at cars but instead, I'm asking really difficult questions and nobody knows the answers to these and I'm being paid peanuts to do it. So if you want to get rich <laughs> fast, don't do a PhD in science. But, okay, that's, let's say, financially rich. If you, if you, <laughs> there are other definitions to the term, but we won't get into that. I'd say that's an immediate disadvantage is you, you're not as independent as, as you might want. And I can't speak too loudly because I have all my roommates here. But you know, you don't want you don't want roommates until you're 40 years old, and you don't want to live as a as a 20 year old college student until you're 35 years old. But that's just that comes with the territory and and the commitment that you that you take on when you decide to pursue a PhD. So, can you tell me about some of the advantages of being an older student? Definitely, that that ties in directly with what I mentioned a, a moment ago, where I'm about as old as a lot of people finishing or, or really in the trenches in their PhD and about as old as, as a lot of the postdocs who have completed their PhD and now are exploring their own ideas to a greater extent. And, and as such, I relate with them really well. And I get along with these individuals, I think, a lot better than I would if I was, say, 23-year-old Brett or 22-year-old Brett. Because I, there are very select individuals that would get along with 22-year-old Brett. <laughs> but I, I think certainly as a, as a more mature individual and as a more mature scientist, I'm able to uh, initiate, I think, better initiate interpersonal, let's say, just flat-out communication with these individuals and, and, and initiate collaborations and exchange ideas more freely. And so there are advantages that, they, they, you, you really do have what appear to be more peers at, at that level. You know, hey, we're all the same age. Let's do mm -hmm. science together. So what would you advise, would you advise younger students to take a break between their bachelor's or even high school um, and their PhD? Would you recommend that they take the time? It depends what you want, really, out of, out of life and out of a career. If your goal is to... You know, I, I kind of took a poke at science earlier and said, don't go into science if you want to make money. But that's, that's definitely not true. There's plenty of money to go around in industry and, and in academia, should you be so fortunate. 
but especially in industry. And so if your job is, or sorry, if your, if your goal is to get a job and make lots of money, then by all means, blaze through it, get in there fast, get out of there fast, and get into a company with your credentials where you can begin to climb and climb and climb. That said, if money is not your primary motivator and, and you want to take time to figure out exactly how you want to spend those five years of your life, those six years of your life, then what's the rush? So the way I view grad school, which is everyone has their own interpretation of, of what it is to do a PhD, but to me, it is an opportunity. It is access to professors, access to instruments, access to infrastructure. And this is an opportunity to, to focus in on exactly what interests you about a certain topic in science and do research at the cutting edge of that topic and do so with, with some of the leading, the, the foremost authorities in the field on your path that are really just, that's what I want to do. They're who I want to do it with. Or, or this is how I want to do it. And, 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 and it goes into what I was saying with uh, things don't always go according to plan. And so there, there are some scientists. These are individuals that I, would, I really aspire to. You know, I, want to get, I want to get in their group. I want to do the kind of science they do with them. And it's going to be great. We're going to be friends and do science together. And I've learned along the way that through all of these zigzags, through my alternative paths, through biofuels and 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 inorganic catalysis in Europe and now coming back to the sugars, that while I admire these individuals as scientists, that I've developed entirely personalized interests and skill sets. And, and instead of aspiring to, you know, work with these people hand in, hand in glove, now I, I, I'm able to generate new ideas that personalize my, my own interests. You know, it's I think it's easy to look up to a mentor and template yourself onto them and say, that's who I want to be when I grow up. But, but you'll learn along the way that you'll, you discover your own interests and your own specialties and, and the things that make you good at what you do as a scientist. And it's important to remember that. I've certainly taken my time, okay, on this path to a PhD. And um, I don't intend to do a 10-year PhD. I'd like to get out of there in a decent on a decent timeline, but, but take your time and figure out what it is that you'd like to do. So what's the rush? That's how I see it. Thanks for listening to Secret Life of a Graduate Student. Next week, we continue our mini-series on Uncommon Paths with Dr. Julie Dunn, an archaeological scientist who left her life as an accountant to pursue her passion in science. Till next week, bye!